Hi and welcome to the Via Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. As we continue our new series for the Lenten season, Come Alive in Jesus, we pray that you will come alive as you hear these words. We have Jaren Nicholas sharing the word of God with us today on how we need to come alive to the new. To come alive in the new, we have to let go of the old. I pray that we will allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the dead parts of our life so we can embrace the new. Are you ready to be transformed into the new? Hello everyone. It is good to be back with you as usual. Um, so we've started a series called Come Alive and today the theme is uh, come alive to experience the new or come alive in the new. So we will um, get on that. Our scripture uh, that we're focusing on today is um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, all the way to chapter 3, verse 17. Um, but let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together, Lord. Father, we thank you that... Uh, we are part of the new creation that you have shared, Lord, and we thank you that as part of that new creation that you have brought us together in this uh, community of faith that we are part of at We Are Zion, Father. Lord, we ask that uh, you would use us to show the people that we come into contact with, Lord, what it means uh, to be human. What is this new humanity that you have started, Lord, that uh, we are a part of? Father, as always, we thank you for the safety and the comfort with which we meet, with which uh, we gather in your name, Lord. And we remember the people around this world that do not have this comfort or safety, uh, that many times there is anxiety or maybe even fear when they think about gathering, Lord, because of uh, their circumstances and their surroundings. Lord, we ask that you would protect them, that uh, you would guard them, that you would fill them with your courage, and that uh, you would give them ways uh, to be a community, even if they cannot meet in person, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for how gracious that you are to us, Lord. And Father, we ask that uh, you would truly speak to us uh, through this message, that you would give me the words to speak, that uh, I would help me to recognize that it is you um, that is orchestrating it, that this is you that is uh, speaking, and none of this is because of me, Lord. So, Father, we come to you humbly. Uh, we, your children, come to you to see what uh, you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I just mentioned, so our theme has been uh, Come Alive, and then today is uh, Come Alive to the new or come alive in the experience of the new. Um, the passage we're going to be focusing on is Colossians chapter 2, 20, all the way till 317. Rather than read the entire almost 22 verses up front, as we go through little by little, I'll read the passage and then we'll talk about it and then we'll go on like that. Uh, just a little background for Colossians. So this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Um, so it's called the letter to the Colossians. It is uh, very likely that he was in prison while he wrote this letter. Um, and this letter was likely a response 
to a visit he received from Epaphras. Epaphras is the person that actually planted the church in Colossae. So Paul didn't actually plant this church. So and so Epaphras tells him about the fact that the church is doing well, but he also talks to him about the couple of challenges that they might be facing as this new community of believers is coming together, coming together in this uh, really, I mean, in this pagan uh, society where these are these new people that are come to believe in Christ. So in response to that visit that from Epaphras that he got in prison, he pens this letter to Colossians. So it's his letter to this kind of like new community of believers. So the things he has to say is important. The warnings he has is important for us. Even us at We Are Zion, we're fairly new, fairly new church. So I think that's a lot for us to hear. Uh, so we will start reading uh, at Colossians 2, chapter 20. I think I'm going to read like four verses and then we'll talk about it. So this is uh, chapter 2, 20 to the end of chapter 2. So since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So he talks, he begins with this idea that since you have died with Christ, right? You've died to the spirits of the world. So the initial idea is you've died with Christ, you've died to this world. And then he kind of focuses on what it is that you have died to. So here in these few verses, the focus are regulations or rules. So one of the concerns he has for this church in Colossae is that he is concerned that they are going to be drawn to Judaism with its list of regulations. And like when he says, uh, do not taste or do not touch, he's, talk, he's probably talking about the list of purity laws they had and the list of dietary laws they had. Uh, so he is concerned that they're being drawn into it because even being drawn into Judaism and the laws would be something that's being taken away from what Christ has done. So that is one of his concerns. So in this letter, if you read the rest of it, you'll see that on one side, there are some concerns about paganism, but on one side, there are some concerns about Judaism as well. So here he's kind of highlighting his concerns about them being drawn back into these laws in Judaism. And he goes on to talk about how these laws really don't have the desired effect that you are looking for. Um, they are such regulations are have the appearance of wisdom or they have an illusion of it, but it is just self-imposed worship or false humility uh, and uh, really have no value in what you feel like you're accomplishing. Many times when we follow these rules, we feel like it is going to make life better or it is going to make us more spiritual or it's going to make us more holy. Uh, but they really don't have that effect. So he's kind of clubbed this, these regulations, these rules into this idea that they also belong to the world. So we here living in this present time, I mean, many of us probably aren't, I mean, there might be Jews listening. I don't know. Maybe some of you that are listening have practiced Judaism. I'm really not aware, but it's like that we, I myself have never had to practice any kind of dietary laws or any kind of purity laws. But 
this this applies to us because we many times come up with our own laws or we follow laws that our culture has what it seems like has imposed on us so this kind of applies to that too um some laws could be one of your laws could be you put put career first could be a law uh, another law could be uh time is money is something that people say all the time that could be a law that we follow uh we could have laws around relationships or friendships one of the laws that we might have is we only put time into relationships that increase our network that could be one uh there are, and in terms of culture there are probably lots of other laws or even in our church we might have our own laws like don't associate with that person uh, because of this and this uh this person can't come to the front door of the house they can only come in the back door of the house there are lots of laws that we tend to follow many some maybe career some cultural some personal that we feel is going to make us better or make us holy or make us spiritual um but what we see in this passage is that these are things that we have died to so these are things that belong in the world and paul starts out saying that these are things that you have died to uh they have they do not have the effect uh that you're looking for they don't really have the value that you're looking for so now when we move on to that you will see that he contrasts since you died with christ to something else so this is now i'm going to read from chapter 3 and i believe this is verse 1 through 4 so since then you have been raised with christ set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with christ in god when christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory so you see there are two parallels kind of going on here in verse 20 since you died with christ now here since you have been raised with christ so paul is kind of hitting home the fact that when christ died we died with him and when he was raised we were raised with him so we have kind of and what we have died to is he mentions um the world in verse 20 and then what we are alive in right now is set your things on things above uh he seated at the right hand of god right not on earthly things so these things that are above sometimes they may be translated like set your th- mind on heavenly things right so we have this contrast going on here so these regulations and laws belong to the things that we are died to they have no real value they can't achieve what we want and so we have died to that in the world and then now he's talking about things that really do have values the things that we are alive in that we have been raised up and so and these are the things of heaven or these are the things that are not worldly these are the things that are above uh above as in these are the things that are in the same place where Christ is seated at the right hand and then uh, in verse 4 he ends with this assurance right that uh, when Christ who is your life right appears then you will also appear with him in glory so like this assurance that we have eternal life and that uh, we will be with Christ uh, as part of our salvation so now he sets up these two parallels die to the world raise up in Christ or die with Christ and raise up with Christ 
And he kind of fleshes out these ideas even more as we read further on in chapter three. Uh, so this is, I'm going to read verses five to 11 in chapter three. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with these practices. I'm just going to read till verse 9. So he kind of highlights here, right, what he means of this world, what he means of the things that you have died to. So put to death, therefore. And he starts talking about sexual immorality, lust, impurity. And then he goes on to talk about uh, anger and rage and malice and slander, slander and filthy language. So he kind of clubs two areas here. So we are talking about um, sexual immoral immorality or sexual impurity, so pretty much sex. And then here we talk about um, filthy talk and slander and malice and rage. Many of these things are expressed in speech, right? So when he's writing to this church and he's talking about what are these old things that we are to put away, the two things that he deliberately chooses to mention are sex and speech, two things that are gifts from God, however, have been tainted and used in ways that they were not meant to be used. Both these things um, have the capacity to, I mean, to really ruin lives, but more so in the context of a church, when these things are widespread or when they happen, they have the ability to tear down this community that you're trying to build. So many times these practices cause divide, right? And uh, these aren't just uh, struggles that the church in Colossae was facing, okay? Uh, he didn't just write about sexual impurity just because um, that was what was happening in the pagan world around him. I mean, he did mention to them, but it is also to us because this is kind of what is happening all around us. In the context of Paul and Colossae, if you wanted to commit sexual sin, you kind of probably had to get up from your house and go to a temple and engage in acts uh, that you thought was worshipful but they really weren't it was just sexual immorality nowadays to be honest you don't have to leave anywhere in the comfort of your home in your bed you have a six inch screen that brings everything to you right so it is important that it, these are addressed these are talked about because this is the kind of things that is important to scripture because here scripture is highlighting that these are the things that we put to death in the time that he had to write to Colossae, he mentioned two very important things that was necessary to put to death, sexual impurity and wrongful speech, right? It is important for us to take that into consideration too. The mere fact that he mentions this means that it is important for us to have a good look at this. And at church, we might fall into this notion that we, that there's no sexual impurity because you're like, uh, I'm married, 
Um, I don't sleep around. Um, I waited till I got married to uh, be with my wife. And you might kind of think of those things and kind of brush it under the carpet and then move on. But then we really can't move on from that because the thing that Paul clubs it with is speech, right? There is a lot of speech that happens at church, right? And it is important to keep in mind that a lot of the speech that could be happening are the things that we that need to be put to death. Um, even simple things that we think are simple, like gossip, even the mere fact that I said simple things, you know, I don't have the right idea about it because things like gossip could really bring division and strife into a community. Uh, so that is something that Paul wanted them to be aware of. And that's something that we have to be aware of. This is, I mean, it really shows us that God is really concerned with our speech and God is really concerned when it comes to matters of sex. These things are important to him. And the way in which we used to view these things before we were raised in Christ has to be put to death. And if they are not put to death, they will not only affect us, but they affect the greater community, right? Uh, you might be telling yourself that there are secret sins that you can do in the privacy of your home that doesn't affect anyone else. But the thing with any kind of sin is it always affects your relationship. If it affects you, it affects your relationships. There is always a way it affects something else. So these things should be put to that. So these are the things of the world that he's talking about. These are the things that we have died to that he's mentioning. And so it should cause us to pause and think about these two specific areas that he's calling us to put to death because they are important to consider. Uncomfortable they might be, but it is important to consider because they are important to God. So now in verses, um, so do not lie to each other since you have taken off. So again, uh, this thing he specifically says, do not lie. Um, one of the reasons he's probably highlighting this is our gospel is a gospel of truth, right? So anytime there are lies are being told in the church, it undoes truth. It almost undoes the gospel. So it is one of it. So it is very important to understand that along with all other speech that has to be put to death, lying has to be put to death as well, because our gospel is a gospel of truth. And when there are lies, it undoes that. So now, starting with the verse, in the middle of verse 9, okay? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ in all and Christ is in all. So Paul here is um, bringing to mind imagery that was uh, probably common in the first century early church. So during baptism, when uh, a new believer would go into the waters of baptism and come out, when they came out of the waters of baptism, they were given a new white robe to kind of symbolize this new creation or this new person they had become. So they would take off the old clothes that they've been baptized in and put on this new white robe to symbolize that. So that is the imagery that Paul is using here. He's talking about take off your old clothes, this old self used to be, and put on the new. And this new one 
is has a new context, right? The your new life, the co- primary context is that in the knowledge, in the image of its creator, meaning you are an image bearer of the one true God. That is the new context of our life. The new context of this new being that you put on is you are an image bearer of the one true God. And then the first thing he mentions that he talks about putting on this new life is that there is no Gentile, nor Jew, uh, there is no slave or free, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised, right? But Christ is all and is all. So the first thing that comes down are like barriers that divide us humans. Many times uh, location and ethnicity and uh, heritage are or nationality are a lot of things that tend to divide. But in this new creation, when you put on this new robe, the first thing that goes away are these things that divide us. And the thing that comes up to unite us is this recognition that we are image bearers. In this community of faith, we are image bearers. And um, that Christ is in all of us. So that becomes the thing that unifies us, right? And it is not the divisions. It's not the things that make us different that matter anymore. But it's this one thing that unifies us. So there is no longer division. So one of the first things he tackles as life in this new creation or this new life we put on are the divisions that we have that so they can no longer so they can no longer be any division so so it's part of the old life we see that he tackles uh, the laws and um, regulations and then sexual immorality and then speech and then with the new life he mentioned about setting your mind on heavenly things and then put on this new self and then the first thing he tackles is there are no longer divisions, right? And then, so we're going to read on from 12 to 17. So, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs for the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He kind of fleshes out what he means by these heavenly things or things that are above or things that are not worldly, right? So these heavenly things he's talking about are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, right? And above above all, love. So he is setting out the things that we should be dwelling on, right? The things that we should be living in. So we have uh, died in Christ, Right. So we have died to the regulations, to pretty much and the immoral speech or sexual impurity. And then we have been raised to this new life that things on heavenly things. And these are those things that he's talking about. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and above all, love. And then he talks about how you cheat people. Right. He says, if anyone has a grievance against you, forgive them as the Lord forgave you. So he's setting up 
and expounding on what this new life is, what it means to clothe ourselves in this new creation that we've been created. And this is what it looks like. So, and then after he tells these things, right, and he talks about love, um, he goes on to give a glimpse of what life in this community of believers in Colossus should look like and what our life as the community of believers here should look like too, right? It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. So peace, peace among us is one thing that should rule. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So this word of thankfulness and gratitude are mentioned here, right? That should be a way of life in this community. Thankfulness and gratitude to God for what he has done. Thankfulness and gratitude that because of him, we have died to the old world. And because of him, we have been raised up into this new creation. And the way we keep this community strong is through the sharing of the word, uh, through worship together. So all of these things build this strong community. All of these things he's encouraging the church in Colossae to take part in. So kind of to recap, right? We've started with, we've died in Christ. So we kind of died to the law. And then he mentioned about your, you've been raised with Christ. And then when you're raised, he talked about the heavenly, your mind set on heavenly things. And then he talked about, because you have died in Christ, put these things to death. So the things that were important or the things that were um, part of our old life, he said put to death, right? And he mentioned two things, sexual immorality and speech. And then he talked about what it means to have this new life or be raised in this new life. And the things that govern the new life are kindness, gentleness, uh, meekness, humility, love, forgiveness, right? All these things set the standard. Those are the heavenly things that govern it. And then he talks a little bit about uh, what the group of believers might look like who are part of this new life. So all in all, when you look at this, um, what Paul is really conveying uh, to us, to the church here, is the gospel. Um, the gospel does care about eternity, right? Um, however, <clears throat> more often than not, the gospel's main concern uh, throughout scripture is our life here on earth, is how we live this life here. Uh, and that is what Paul is talking about here. The gospel message that he wants to convey to the church in Colossae is that we have died in Christ and that we have put to death those things and that we have been raised in again. So as we have been raised, we are part of this new creation. We have died and we have been raised. So we have died to the world, this old creation, and we have been raised into this new order. It, very, the idea is very much that we've been raised into almost a new way to be human. A new way to be human, meaning the most genuine and only way to be truly human is in light of the gospel. Only way to be truly human is to be part of this new creation that Christ is the firstborn of that because of his death, we have died to the old and because of his resurrection, we have been raised to the new. So 
we are part of this new creation, right? And the things that govern us in this new creation are not the things that used to govern us in the past. Those things are to be put to death. The things that are to govern us are kindness, humility, meekness, uh, love, forgiveness, right? Gathering together in worship, having an having thankfulness and gratitude be the rhythm of our life because of because we know that we are part of this new creation. We know that we can genuinely be human because of the work that Christ has done for us. As as I was preparing the sermon, I probably for the first time in my life, or at least the first time in recent history, I was reminded again that I indeed am part of this new creation, right? And it made me look at things when they popped up a little different. Some of the examples, uh, a couple of examples I'm going to share with you are probably maybe on the sillier side, but they were important to me because that was kind of what I was going through. Um, when I was prepping for the sermon, there are always distractions. Primarily, the six-inch screen that we all have. Distractions to go look at every notification, uh, distractions to browse the news. After I was in the middle of prepping and I was um, thinking through this idea that I'm a new creation, when that distraction popped up first, I found myself telling myself I am dead. So anytime there was a distraction to take me from what I was supposed to be doing, I told myself I am dead. I was actually surprised when it when that happened to me, but it made me feel like I internalized this truth that uh, that I was uh, learning from by studying the scripture. So this past couple of days, as, as, as I've been prepping, anytime I was tempted to go to the phone to distract myself, I said, I am dead. And I was able to come back and stay on course. And uh, not a silly example, I chew my nails, right? It might be a very trivial example. I don't have any crazy stories for you today. But I found myself saying, anytime I was tempted to chew my, chew my nails, I am dead. And uh, that was this reminder that I am dead to the old ways. I'm alive in the new creation and I have self-control. And when I've found it difficult to be part of this new creation, right? The thing that governed the new creation, humility, compassion, meekness are difficult things. So when I was faced with those difficult things, I told myself I'm alive because we are alive in those things and we can function in those things and let those things govern our lives. So it it was just my example. I was telling myself when things were pulling me back to the old, told myself I was dead. When things were difficult as we embraced, as we were moving forward in the new life, I told myself I was alive to remind myself, right? We live in a world that is constantly tugging at us back to the old. We just have to step out the door or turn on our 16 screens to know that it doesn't look like a new creation around us. It doesn't look like new creation has been initiated. So the world reminds us and tries to pull us back. So we taking the initiative and choosing to believe that we indeed are part of this new creation is an act of faith. So faith is a big part of this. It's just not believing God for something. But in this case, faith is actively choosing to believe that even though around us, 
it doesn't seem like new creation or we're constantly being pulled back into what was old. We in faith believe that we truly are part of this new creation that God that God has initiated through what Christ has done, right? And so, and that we can be this new creation in this world, that we can show the world around us that new creation indeed has been initiated, right? And that people are welcome to be part of this new creation. So now <clears throat> my wife shared something with me, which I think kind of really fleshes out this uh, almost constant tug of war that we have. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's a story, um, a short story, or more like imagery to help us understand. So I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to kind of close after that. So imagine yourself traveling down a long country road, looking ahead, on one side, you see a high chain link fence. And on the other side, you see an open field. As you drive closer, you can see people behind the fence and people in the field. You slow down to take a closer look and you discover that the fence is actually part of a huge cage. The people inside are trapped with no way out. There is a man in the cage who seems to be in charge and he is angry. He shouts orders at the people, telling them what to do. Sometimes the people in the cage seem to protest, but eventually they do what the angry man tells them to do, or what he tells them to do. The cage is a picture of our situation apart from Jesus, apart from Christ. The angry man's name is Sin and he reigns in the cage. Sin tells the people what to do. The whole world is a prisoner of sin. But those who are in Christ have died to sin. Paul uses this picture to describe what God does for us in Christ. When you come to faith in Jesus, God moved you out of the cage and into the field. God moved you from imprisonment to Freedom from an old life in which sin was your master to a new life in which sin is no longer in a position to control you. Being in Christ puts you in a new position in relation to sin. Sin is still your enemy, but it is no longer your master. The angry man will still shout instructions across the road. And when he does, you will immediately feel that you should do what he says. After all, that's what you always did before. But the fact of the matter is that the angry man is no longer your master. You are under no obligation to do what he says. You are not in the cage. You are in the field. You are free. Resistance to sin was ultimately futile when you were held hostage in the cage. But out in the field, you are in a position to fight and you can triumph over your enemy. Every person is either in the cage or in the field. You cannot be in both places at the same time. And knowing where you stand is a crucial part of discovering your new identity in Christ. So we are part of new creation, just like that told you, right? Many times, Things, our old world, sin, 
or the old creation that we came out of is constantly shouting, barking orders at us. And maybe our initial reaction is do it because that's kind of what we always done. But we are part of this new creation. We no longer need to listen to those commands, right? For some of us, those shouts come from all over the place. Many times the shouts are probably coming from your phone and they want you to do something. It could be coming from people. It could be coming from past experience. It could be coming from anywhere. But fact of the matter is we are part of this new creation. We have a new master. Our master is Christ and our master is no longer sin. So kind of want to end with how um, this uh, the passage ends with verse 17. And I'm going to leave with you a couple of thoughts about what, how that really fleshes out how to distinguish our old life from our new life. Okay. And it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. As I was reading a resource I was using to prep for this message, it said, could you put the banner up in the name of the Lord Jesus? to anything you do or to anything you say. And it really got me thinking because I think that it would help us to distinguish old from new, right? Could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, um, yell angrily at our children? No. Could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, shame our spouse because we just don't agree on something? Um, could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, be rude to somebody because they were rude to us, right? Could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, think about uh, somebody else when we are married? So we couldn't, right? But could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, show compassion when compassion was not shown to us? Yes. Could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, be loving when what we have received is hatred? Yes. Could we, in the name of the Lord Jesus, show love to our children or be gracious to them despite anything that has happened? Yes. So let's keep that in mind as we come to the end of this, right? Can we do or say the things we say in the name of the Lord Jesus? So thank you so much for joining us and uh, being with us. I want to say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us this message. Thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you so much for this reminder that we indeed are part of a new creation that you initiated, Lord, that we no longer have to suffer under the old, but we can live in freedom under the new, Lord. So Father, help us to internalize this, help us to Remember this, Lord, uh, this week and for the rest of our lives that you indeed have called us to this new creation, that we are part of this because of what you have done, that we died with you, but more so we have been raised into this new creation with you and that the way we live our lives can be different. It does not have to be the same like it was before um, you raised us, Father. So Lord, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you that we can truly and genuinely be human now and don't have to be listening to orders being yelled by our old master. 
but that we can live in freedom with our new master, that is Christ. So Father, we love you. We thank you again for bringing us together and that we thank you that you are the one that binds us together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, church, go out in the power of the gospel. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's message and were blessed. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more messages from us, you could rate us and subscribe to our podcast channel. For more content from We Are Zion, or if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can go to wearezion.in or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. More importantly, remember that whoever finds Jesus, finds love.